Welcome to Lit from the Basement. This is Danielle. This is Max. I'm an author and professor. I'm a stay-at-home dad, usually a radio co-host, but tonight, just a charming third wheel. <laughs> We're a married couple who discuss literature in our basement while our children are sleeping. Our show is pretty simple. I introduce Max, my poetry-resistant husband, Adio. to a poem which we use as a springboard for conversation in the one hour we have to ourselves in the evening. Now the boys are finally asleep after they're done climbing over our guest. <laughs> so let's talk. As Max mentions, we have a guest tonight, somebody who is close enough to to me anyway, who will brave our basement. <laughs> she is bundled up and we have a heater on. <laughs> <laughs> late, late at night. We are joined tonight by poet Dawn Lonsinger. She is an assistant professor of English at Muhlenberg College and author of the poetry collection Whelm which was the winner of the Idaho Prize in Poetry, Cornell University's Frund Prize, and Shelf Unbound Notable Book of the Year in 2013. And I, she's also a very, very dear friend of mine from graduate school. So I'm delighted to have her here this evening. I have asked Dawn to choose the poem for this evening, and she has chosen a poem called Animals by Frank O'Hara. And Dawn, is there a particular reason why? There's lots of reasons. Oh, really? Uh, if you're familiar with Frank O'Hara, you know he's a New York school poet. Yes. Um, and he has a big personality. What is a, what's a New York school poet? poet? Um, a New York school poet is a poet that was writing 50s and 60s, uh, part of a school with Kenneth Koch, James Schooler, Barbara Guest, John mm -hmm. Ashbery. And I'm not sure that... I could articulate exactly what I don't think they had a shared aesthetic mm -hmm. per se, but they were all sort of working in the milieu of New York City. And a lot of them, Frank O'Hara in particular, were really connected to artists. So Frank yeah, O'Hara yeah. was he worked at the MoMA as a curator. OK, talk yeah. about getting a good job. It's your first <laughs> job in New York City. right? Yeah, and he was at first the desk clerk, but very quickly because he was so charismatic, worked his way up and became a major curator. Yeah. So like he curated a show with Jackson Pollock and Whoa. Franz Klein right. and Jasper Johns. Yeah. And, his, I, you know, the the sort of uh, connection he has to the art of the time can't be understated. He was also an art critic. I mean, oh. that was his main that was his main job. <laughs> yeah, and actually got a little bit of criticism for being too, quote unquote, poetic or indulgent yeah. in his art in criticism, his which right. later people took up that style and mimicked, yeah, it, right. of course. Um, well, I say, yeah, but I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to go back to the New York school thing, I mean, so I, I brought that up because I think O'Hara, of all of them, is my favorite. And I think uh, part of it is because he... I think people think because he worked with uh, abstract expressionists uh -huh. and pop art and all these artists that he was an art for art's sake kind of writer. Mm -hmm. Right. But I actually think he was a life for art's sake and art for life's sake. Yeah. Like he really thought of art and literature as having a mutuality with life. Like okay. there wasn't there wasn't a line and right. one wasn't hierarchically higher than the other. Right. Okay. They like yeah. were one in the same. Mm. And that was really built into his personality. Yeah. Um, and he wrote this, I'll talk more about this later, but he wrote this beautiful manifesto. It was really in some ways a parody of a manifesto. Yeah. Um, he was parodying <laughs> other poets who came before him who wrote manifestos. Uh, he was really sort of anti-Wordsworthian type of poetics. And 
It's called Personism, a manifesto. So it was meant to be a parody at first, but really, it really does land on a lot of what his poems do really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the things he says in that piece is a poem should be between two people and not between two pages. (laughs) Mm. Um, Well, that's kind of the that's kind of the, the philosophy of our show in some ways. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that, that's Absolutely. that's part that's of the true. reason that we that we did it. I mean, to take uh, poetry sort of out of the classroom or out of the lecture hall and and place it between two people so that there is a connection. Is it safe to say that he he was pro like reader response? Because that's all I have. That's the only thing I bring to these things. Yes, <laughs> yes, and no. I mean, reader response as it's taught, I think, in schools is a kind of private act. So you're still mm-hmm. having a relationship with the poem mm-hmm. and the poet. But I think he really meant it on a like, like he also wrote a ton about his friends. There's so much specificity about New York in his poems. Like, I think he really meant it as between two people. Okay. And in fact, he talks about how many of his poems he wrote to beloveds. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like he would write them to a specific person, even if that person doesn't per se show up in the poem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that that anytime somebody says O'Hara, I mean, one of the things that strikes me about him is how very contemporary he was for his particular time. Yes, he was ahead of his time. Well, I mean, by that, I actually mean that, like, he was not afraid to put in things that were happening exactly at that moment. Like a lot of poets, you know, that are sort of like subscribe to this idea that the poet should have like an oracular voice want to erase time from the poem in some ways. Which is impossible. Yes, it it is. But, but, but they they try, right? And that's what I mean. He like really respected the, what would I call it? The ephemeral nature, the ephemeral and, extraordinary nature of everyday life mm-hmm. yeah. and by putting in all those specifics i mean one of his most famous love poems is having a coke with you yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for example um in a really other famous poem called ava maria which is again a mock epic so there's always a little bit of humor and sardonic nature in there yeah. as well he implores american mothers to let their kids go to the cinema for Sort of sorted reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think the very first line is something like, you know, mothers, p- please yeah. let your kids go to the movies. I, I forget what it exactly is. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, but Another one of his poems is so Wordsworth famously said that a poem is a spontaneous overflow of emotion. Of course, what people never quote is what he actually said was a spontaneous overflow of emotion recollected in tranquility okay Um, and frank o'hara one of his other more famous poems is called meditation in an emergency yeah (laughs) that sounds familiar yeah yeah well it was that was the book that don was reading in mad men oh okay yeah okay mad men but but i mean i'm wondering if you were sort of feeling closer to frank o'hara having moved to brooklyn i'm sure that is <laughs> yeah. a big part of it yeah and, and really i i think it's that and it's also i think really searching these days for a kind of poetry that is smart mm-hmm. but also deeply sincere and yet culturally aware like willing to be critical of the culture at the same time that it's totally sincere about relationships. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, yeah. I think I see. Personism. <laughs> yeah, personism. So the other thing, I, so just a couple more things about his, his humor that sort of lands on a point that is so strong and well put that, mm-hmm. that it makes you think differently about art and poetry. Yeah. So in personism, he says, putting a poem squarely between the poet and the person might be the death of literature as we know it. <laughs> um, He says, but how can you really care if anybody gets it or gets what it means or if it improves them? Improves them for what? For death? 
<laughs> right? Um, yeah, that's and, and another place he says when he's talking about form and style, you know, someone's asked him about his form and style, you just go on your nerve. If you're going to buy a pair of pants, you want them to be tight enough so everyone will want to go to bed with you. <laughs> There's nothing metaphysical about it. <laughs> Okay, well let's 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 <laughs> let me just our... say a couple things about the poem. So the reason I chose this particular Frank O'Hara poem, partly I feel like it does really manifest this idea of personism and a poem between two people. Mm-hmm. But I love that you have this kind of mood of nostalgia and melancholy, even a, a bit elegiac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then you start to realize it's also maybe a critique of modernity, and it's also a philosophy on time. And finally, it's really a love poem. Right. So it's like all these things at once. And yeah. I don't really know how he manages it, but the imagery is gorgeous. It concretizes time and space in this really beautiful way. And it's called Animals, and no animals show up in the poem unless you're counting us, which by the end you're going to have to count yeah. as <laughs> the animals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you want to read it out for us? Sure. If you want to read along with the poem, just go to our website, litfromthebasement.com, click on the show notes tab along the top, and scroll to the show title with the poem's name. The most recent show is always on top. Animals by Frank O'Hara Have you forgotten what we were like then, when we were still first-rate? and the day came fat with an apple in its mouth. It's no use worrying about time, but we did have a few tricks up our sleeves and turned some sharp corners. The whole pasture looked like our meal. We didn't need speedometers. We could manage cocktails out of ice and water. I wouldn't want to be faster or greener than now if you were with me. Oh, you were the best of all my days. Okay. I'm... Seems very straightforward initially. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is that deceptively so? No, I mean, I think that is also one of the sort of gorgeous things about Mm -hmm. Frank O'Hara is he tends to use, as you can see, colloquial, conversational, Mm -hmm. important with the poem between two people. Right. And also there's a kind of casual, relaxed quality Mm -hmm. that you get from that feeling. I mean, that's that's what I think it's like you start to see the simplicity is a bit deceptive because he's clearly purposely using not just colloquial conversational language, but idiomatic language to make you feel comfortable and idiomatic meaning like just particular to him or what do you uh, mean by no, idiomatic? idiomatic like phrases like have you forgotten or a few tricks up our sleeves or it's no use worrying like these are everyday okay, sort of idiomatic phrases that right. you would hear sometimes when idioms are overused then we come to know oh, them as, as, okay. as metaphors mm-hmm. or sorry that we come to know them as cliches um, if an idiomatic phrase is taken on too much right but yeah the, these that he's using here are are still sort of in colloquial use in a way that's not sort of overdone. I mean, some of them are, are sort of metaphorical and some of them are not. They're just sort of phrases that we use. Well, and they're peppered throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also like he's mixing them in with ideas that are incredible 
incredibly abstract, like yeah. time with a capital T. Right. Uh, that's actually, um, yeah, one of my three questions. Yeah, and, and also incredibly concrete. So you get that with an apple in its mm -hmm. mouth, you get cocktails, you get speedometers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so, yes, I think simple, but a little bit deceptively simple because he's actually, there's a lot of craft here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I would just start off by saying, like, just to start, the, the poem, as I mentioned, is called Animals. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Um, yeah. No animals show up in the poem except for the implied animal of fat with an apple in its mm -hmm. mouth. Uh, Although yeah. that also could be read. I read that both as pig on a spit and thinking about a feast and mm -hmm. also as yeah. Eve. Eve is always oh. there when there's an a apple in a mouth, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's just a thing. Uh, poor Eve. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, I mean, in a, in a poem that's interested in how we come to know the world, I think knowledge, sin, pleasure is all present in the poem. Mm -hmm. So I think you, you have to read that as well. But going back to the animals, I mean, by the time you get done the poem and reread it a few times, you realize part of what he's doing is thinking about the lovely, not unselfconscious nature of animals at the same time as he's thinking about we're also animals yeah. entirely and that we're still wrung out and subject to desire and memory. Well, that's what I think that he's sort of saying when you, when you get to these lines, that it's, it's no use worrying about time or the whole pasture looked like our meal. Yeah. Right. Like mm -hmm. that, 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 that's that, predatory. Yeah, the animals again, or, or not, or not necessarily predatory. I mean, I think of it as like, we're, we're through these fat cattle, like sitting oh, in eating the, the grass, yeah, eating Sorry. the grass. Yeah. Whole pasture looked like our meal. I've seen all the animals that were, ranging in the pastures. Oh, interesting. Sorry, and that's mm -hmm. not in here at all. Yeah, well, I mean, it could be, um, but I, I think that there is this sort of idea or like we didn't need speedometers. Yeah, it's like he's going, it's like pre-evolution. Right. It's like thinking we didn't about have those time. rules and yeah. time and speed, right? Yeah. Like that wasn't even a part of our language at, at a certain point that we become, we had to go so fast that that we need speedometers in yeah. order to know how fast we're going either to get there on time or to slow down if we're going too fast but well and to worry about time yes i and, mean speedometers about speed. are about literally worrying about time i am going to get a ticket if mm -hmm. i don't get back in time right to the speedometer which also means you're aligned with a time that isn't the time you experience, which is one of my favorite things about the poem. Oh, interesting. Like, I think the poem, more than anything else, is about time. For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Danielle and Max. The poem we're discussing today is Animals by Frank O'Hara with special guest, poet Don Lonsinger. If you'd like to read the poem, you can find it on our website at litfromthebasement.com. You'll have to clarify that thought for me. Yeah. It, it sounds delicious, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. So I think, I think the poem is thinking very hard about the experience of time. So mm -hmm. if you look at um, then is a sample of time, the day is talking about mm -hmm. time, time with a capital T, turned is a measure of time, yeah. um, speedometer is a measure of time, oh, and then the best faster is a measure of time best of all my days, time. And so right. I think one of the things that's really interesting is you first come upon it as like nostalgic time on the scale of, well, there's two times here. One is historical time, mm -hmm. like we were just talking about evolutionary time, kind of, uh, the history of man. And the other is the scale of a relationship, like relationship time, because oh. this is also nostalgic about a previous stage in the relationship, oh. because by the time we get down to, I wouldn't want to be faster or greener than now 
if you were with me, oh, you were the best of all our days. So the trick is he makes us feel this sort of nostalgia for this time when we were not, where modernity hadn't ruined a bunch of things for us, right? right? Where we could still think of water and ice as the best of all pleasures. Okay. But yeah. Does that make sense? Well, I, the water and ice cocktails have me confused. Yeah. I think that you're, you've touched upon the fact that like relationship time is its own time to well, a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 I, and I sort of there's something about that that, that that does sort of feel like, you know, at the beginning of a relationship where you sort of fall into a vortex. <laughs> yeah. And, and the way that like love like either stretches things out or compresses things. Yes. Um, and so it makes time feel different. Just well, because... and one of the things that is so good about in here is that he makes I said the phrase concretizes time. He like makes time space. Like the whole pasture looked like our meal yeah. by the end turns into, I wouldn't want to be faster or, or greener. greener. Yeah. And faster also referring back to speedometers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Let's, let's go line Dig by line. A little, okay. Yeah. Um, so, so the very beginning, have you forgotten what we were like then? What I love about this is it's worry. It's accusation. It's nostalgia. It's imploring. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there's no question mark. There's no punctuation. Oh, there's, there's no, no punctuation in the whole thing. piece. Yeah. So formally speaking, I mean, we'll go line by line. But the thing you notice right away, A, no punctuation. Mm-hmm. B, there's form, but it's not form. Right? So it's not a form poem. Yeah. 12 lines, uh, four tercets. Yeah. But... If you look at the shape of the lines, it's actually remarkable. I think, did I draw them? Yeah. So, like, they do this, yeah. and then they do this. Those of you who, who aren't looking at it right yeah. now, who are, who are walking around, there are four three-line stanzas, uh, and that's called a tercet. And uh, the end of the line stretches out long on the first line, kind of shorter on the second line, and then long again on the third line. And that's kind of how all of the... And no, actually, it's the, oh, no, 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 no. It's the first the and the third, and then the second and the fourth. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So it has yes. a serpentine motion to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I would say that that serpentine motion mimics a little bit the way he's navigating time in this poem. And mm-hmm. even, like, when we get to turn some sharp corners, you're visually turning sharp corners at the ends of the poem, oh. or at the end of the oh, lines. Oh, yeah. yeah, nice. Okay, so have you forgotten what we were like then? When we were still first rate, <laughs> which I, I love that he's using this kind of idiomatic phrase. Well, and I think in this case, even it goes beyond the idiomatic. It's almost commercial language. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, he did bring yeah, in first a rate, of, top drawer. Like you're trying to make a pitch to someone. Yeah. <laughs> top notch. Cutting edge. Top shelf. <laughs> yeah, like he's like a salesman for this past relationship he had. Right? <laughs> when we were still first rate. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he make it, makes it vivid in the next line. Yeah. Right? yeah. And the day... Uh-huh. Came it's fat that. with an apple in its mouth. He yeah. could have said we come fat, like the the, the day uh, itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The time here, right? Like it was brought not... to them on a platter. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah. It feels like he's talking about a feast, certainly. Right? Yeah, and yet in a literal way you can kind of see the image of sunrise a little bit. Like if you wanted to try to find where did he come to this image of fat with an apple in its mouth, mm-hmm. you could kind of think of sunrise as like this <sighs> bright red. You've ever seen a sunrise that's like glowing red? Mm, I see. Over the river. And around. And like, yeah, that he, he could have got, who knows how he got there. But that's okay, one way in which it could the, be. The sunrise glowing red over the river. Mm-hmm. You mean New York, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Coming, I grew up in LA. 
our sunrises were the cleanest part of the day. Uh, and by okay. the time we get to the end of the day, then, then their the blood pollution. red, the pollution <laughs> yeah. is affecting oh, New it. New York just gets the pollution all the time. <laughs> right, so. right, right out of the gate. Yeah. I did not know you could have a red it sunrise. It probably is coming up out of the river. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's also, as you pointed out earlier, uh, kind of like an, an animal with something in its mouth, right? <laughs> it means to me, like, I mean, it reminds me, of course, of feasting like a pig with an apple mm-hmm. in its mouth or something to that effect. But certainly, it, you know, it feels like if the day arrives that way, that like it's already full. It's already it, like cons- either consuming something or already blessed with something in its mouth. And this is what I mean about the like weird doubling. And like, I feel like this poem is simultaneously celebratory and melancholic because I think it, mm, all of that is there. Yeah, right. But it's in the past. But then it's in the past. But also, if you think about a pig on a spit, a day coming in, it's like it's making us think of feasts. It's making us think of fullness. But there's also something kind of dark Dead. about imagining. Yeah, yeah. Like spinning around. And like, this is like the cycles of the world. And we know by the end of this poem that this, at least the stage of this relationship, if not the relationship as a whole, mm-hmm. is gone. Right. Yeah. Uh. Has been eaten. <laughs> right. Devoured. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. In a way, depending. Yeah. Remember yeah. when, remember when we started this feast and now it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, somebody had a roadside pulled pig playing they're just like wiping their fingers off in little napkins and Ew. we had a we had a good start <laughs> now i'm bloated there's grease all over my white shirt <laughs> that feels relevant to the 1950s actually <laughs> oh uh, yeah maybe he wrote so. this in 1950 right oh, okay so we're the post-war period mm. we're in the year Fat. of the Peanuts, Peanuts comic coming out for the first time. Okay. Oh. It's like, uh, it's actually the first year of credit cards. It's like, America's yeah. kind of like post-war bliss a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That the day came they fat with an apple it in it the golden mouth. age of cinema. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's the, the end of the third line. And then we go to the fourth line, which starts the second, second stanza. stanza. It's no use worrying about time. Capital T. Capital mm-hmm. T. And you've already pointed out the many ways in which this poem is 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 uh, in conversation with time. But, you know, it's funny because I don't know that I would have necessarily thought about that the first time through, though, of course, with the, the as you put it out, elegiac tone throughout. Uh, it has both nostalgia, the kind of like happiness of nostalgia and the sadness of nostalgia both at once. I mean, I think the other way this is working on us is with the psychic distance of the pronouns. So you start with have you. So we don't know yet know that that you is a beloved we are implied oh, yeah. the reader have right? you forgotten it's right like directed at us right and then we turn to we so we're still complicit in that or included in that right right um and then by the second stanza you get it's no use worrying about so this kind of re- further out psychic distance right this uh it's no use worrying about time but it's removed a bit Right. And then the poem stays in the we until that final stanza, you get the I. Yeah. When yeah. you guys I, say beloved, um, that, does that necessarily have to be a romantic relationship? <laughs> that's, that's, a good a good, that's a good question. Because <laughs> just, you know, this I, kind of like when we were awesome, kind of like, you know, stay golden, pony boy. Kind <laughs> of. I mean, I think the reason I'm saying that is because A, he explicitly said he would write to his beloveds, and B, he had lots of beloveds, and C, he has also been uh, quoted as saying that the only thing he loved more than poetry was love. Uh, yeah, there's something about was oh, he a hetero oh, he, standard fella? No, he was gay. Oh, yeah. okay. So th- yeah. then, okay, and also out in a time where that was still, I think, illegal. Yeah, actually. yeah. Um, 
which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, so the oh, you were the best of all my days feels like a romantic gesture. So he still, still is talking to a young man, kind of using these kind of speedy terms. Maybe. I mean, maybe he's talking to a contemporary. I mean, the thing is, he, he, he himself was, was a young man. He died at 40. Mm. He did all this before. Yeah, so that's he was the saddest 40. part of his biography yeah. is that he died on Fire Island, hit by a dune buggy at well, the age of forty. I know. Yeah, at forty, <laughs> right? I, I mean, I mean that. I mean, it's insane how much he accomplished. Well, that and that's that what like his friends who ended up pulling together. So he, I think he only published. I could be wrong about this, but I know he, he published the lunch poems. I think it might have been the only collection he published during his lifetime. He actually did publish a, another, another. another okay. a, yeah, in nineteen sixty, he published Second Avenue. Okay, um, but but he's he's known well for the lunch poems, and he was just he was like just but he had starting so many more poems than that. And when yeah. his friends went into his apartments, they were like stuffed in drawers and in cabinets, yes. and like I mean even. The lunch poems implies this and he was a, a fan of William Carlos Williams and they shared this is like William Carlos Williams was this doctor who would like note write little poems on his like doctor prescription pad in between patients oh, right. and it sounds like O'Hara also like lunch poems I wrote them right. at lunch like yeah. just whenever he could that's when he had time to do it right <sighs> yeah um but but yeah I mean it does feel like a beloved but I, I like the idea of this sort of being able to be yeah. read like mm-hmm. as a fr- like I feel like yeah. Like maybe, like maybe I could say this poem to you. Yeah, <laughs> thinking absolutely. Of, thinking about uh, thinking about like us being in graduate school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always do this terrifying thing with my students to to show them the importance of art and relationships, which is uh, I draw birth. And then a straight line to death on the board. <laughs> and I write monologue. <laughs> and then I write birth uh-huh. and death at the bottom. And then I put other, other, other over on the side and show how the line gets loop-de-loop. Yeah. And how you don't end up, right, going straight to death because you're in dialogue with other people. And oh, that complicates yeah, yeah. your relationship to time. To, to time and to death. Really. Yeah, like, and not in, in some ways what I was talking about. O'Hara doing in this poem about the relativity of time and you were saying how time changes when you're in love yeah like all relationality does that all real intimacy whether it's friendship or right because you're no longer in this crazy monologue with yourself that's going straight towards death (laughs) you're now you're like your time is tugged (laughs) in a different way yeah that's true no I I think that's right we're going to have an image of the diagram that she has that she's showing us I'll put that up on our show notes yeah that would be great I mean one of the things I was I was saying to Don earlier is that that you know the thing that i miss in my life is long mm-hmm. conversations with friends mm-hmm. right i i have these good conversations with you which is amazing mm-hmm. and, and has, has added to this huge dynamic to our relationship but um but it's you and i mostly well, just I with each other yeah i know <laughs> well, it's well i get i get you and the boys right yeah <laughs> in this well, basement well and i think <laughs> maybe another thing we haven't gotten into this yet in the poem but one of the other things and maybe I'm my eye is acute for this like I'm looking for it but I think this poem is also uh, it's in some ways critiquing capitalism and modernity and what it does to those sorts of, and mm-hmm. the impossibility of having lots of intimate relational relationships nowadays and mm-hmm. i.e. nowadays 1950 on <laughs> right? um, and probably even more so true these days 
right? I Absolutely. Mean, it, I would love to know what O'Hara would be writing with Tinder and tax and like oh, what would his gums look like? Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. God. That's well, a real be loss. On Twitter. That's a total loss. <laughs> that is a total loss. I think, I think, the, I mean, you know. Although, I mean, I did read somewhere that he's kind of become an Instagram darling. Um, like people post his poems a lot. And I think partly it's because he has a lot of good short poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I think partly it's the colloquial conversational tone. So it's not like hierarchical. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's locking anybody it's easy out. easy to approach, yeah. Um, and then uh, people have also commented on his honest treatments of loneliness and the absurdity of modern life. Yeah. That he really touches still, well on all of those yeah, things. Totally relevant. Um, this is reminding me, because you asked the love thing, that in personism, he also says... I don't remember the exact quote, but in the beginning he says the reason he discovers this manifesto is because he starts to write a poem to a friend and he realizes he could just call them. Mail it to their yeah, estate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he also does say in that in that manifesto to address itself to one person, thus evoking overtones of love. Oh, so yeah. no matter what person he had chosen to write it to, beloved or not, so he all poems to... are love poems. Yeah, in all a way, of, all all of O'Hara's poems are love poems in some way. Yeah, I mean, love in its various iterations. I suppose you could you could think of that way. But but yeah, that that the beloveds, yeah, uh, were the especially beloveds, the, plural. Plural. the beloveds were especially the heart <laughs> of yeah. his uh, craft. Okay, so it's no use worrying about time. Capital T. But we did have a few tricks up our sleeves and turn some sharp corners. What's, what are those lines doing? This is where the poem gets a little sad, I think. I think the mm. sharp corners implies there was some kind of hardship or difficulty. But yeah. it's funny because he prepares it. He prepares us for it by first telling us they had tricks up their sleeves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So we know first that they were like magically prepared somehow <laughs> right. right yeah I, you know there are certain moments in life where you where you do find yourself in a brand new situation uh, or in a crisis and you realize that you do actually have some inner resources to draw from in order to get through it right like these these moments are unavoidable like every life has them but yeah we did have a few tricks up our sleeves and turn some sharp corners so, yeah, like near misses. In well, some and ways. I love the few tricks up to our sleeves. The way you put it makes it sound so much more poetic, but the way he puts it makes it sound like so New York. Like it's like hustling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah. hustling. Yeah. And turn some sharp corners. The other thing that's interesting about that for me is as city life. Like, oh, yeah. And he loved, one of the things you cannot mistake in Frank O'Hara is that he loved New York City. Oh, like, he yeah. adored New York City. And he wanted to talk about every aspect of New York City, the ugly parts, the good parts. the. And I think what he loved about it was the vitality of it. Mm-hmm. In the same way his poems are so vital. I think, again, in, I, I think it's in personalism. He says, it's too vital a movement to promise anything. <laughs> It's too vital a movement to promise anything like that vitality doesn't give promises. It, it It's more like in the present moment. Well, yeah. And that to promise is to become in some ways a, a parody of yourself or like a treatise of yourself or static. Right. Like if you follow this, you will get this. Yeah. From it. And he's like, no, it's more contemporaneous yes exactly Mm. and contemporary impromptu and fitting of the moment i mean i even think Uh, his forms grow out of the content and not the other way around and i think that's why he's so 
sarcastic about like sort of Wordsworth and like these big kind of manifestos uh, and big ideas that are that are claiming to do something and, and not just claiming to do something but claiming for other people that they should want to also perceive poetry and their lives through In this, this lens yeah. where he's sort of saying he's like a real champion of difference which again fits with the loving of New York City mm. is he is he a native of, of New York? No. So he actually grew up. He was born in Baltimore, grew up in Massachusetts, went to Harvard, roommates with Edward Gorey. How oh, lovely gosh. is that? <laughs> <laughs> Do you see any, because like, you mentioned earlier that you saw, saw sort of like parallels to a certain extent or something something similar about their, their yeah, uh, I sensibilities. Think, I think in the, the sort of sardonic humor that you see in both of their work, mm -hmm. um, the way that they can get you to laugh at sort of sad things for the radio listeners who are just tuning in you're listening to lit from the basement with danielle and max the poem we're discussing today is animals by frank o'hara with special guest poet don lonsinger if you'd like to read the poem you can find it on our website at litfromthebasement.com and for those of you who don't know who edward gorey is yeah he did the uh the the the, the gashly crumb tinies <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, um, so he went to Harvard, was roommates with Edward Gorey. I love to think that they had long and meaningful philosophical conversations. And also really funny conversations. Yeah. He was yeah. also friends with John Ashbery there. Right. Um, so Who's John Ashbery? He's one of the New York school poets. Oh, okay. um, and one of the probably the most famous long lived, just passed away a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Even then, when he was in Massachusetts at Harvard, he was like going down to New York and falling in love with New York, I think. Um, and he did have a small stint at University of Michigan, got his master's there, won a Hopwood Prize, and then moved back to New York at the age of 25. So, I mean, the crazy thing is he only lived there, given that he died at 40, he only yeah. lived there for 15 years. Yeah, curator of the MoMA, beginner, <laughs> like Jeez. like founder of the, basically of the New York school sort of style or the mm -hmm. poetry. I mean, it's kind of incredible all that he did. Well, as a, as a sexually marginalized man, too, New York must have been just, I mean, there were only two places in the country. It was like one of the only places to yeah. be. Yeah. 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 To be open. Right. Be gay. Yeah. yeah. And to be openly gay in a world, uh, I mean, he really found his people. I mean, mm -hmm. to be with artists where everybody was kind of open. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, so sorry. This... One little other detail about his bio that's really interesting is that he he studied piano his whole life, and that was his real dream. He wanted to be a pianist what? as a kid. I did not know this yes. about him. And I think, you know, I think because the... You the... can see his deep appreciation for music well, so in that a was, lot I was going to his... say, like, I think because he's so conversational, people miss it. But I think he has a real ear, especially for timing. Mm. Like when to make a turn. Like we're saying, we're talking about mm. the idiomatic phrases, but a lot of those are like pacing and turns yeah. in the way we're thinking yeah. in a very musical way. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Stanza three. <laughs> stanza three. This might be my favorite stanza, despite the fact that the, the, that the final stanza, and because I like to think all love poems are, you know, in some ways written for me, <laughs> <laughs> that that you I can imagine being me. But, but this, this I love. The whole pasture looked like our meal. We didn't need speedometers. We could manage cocktails out of ice and water. So notice, first off, what he does with your brain spatially and temporally here, because we've just left sharp corners and mm. now we're in a whole pasture. Oh, yeah, you're mm. right. We left like a city corner, turned a sharp turned corner, a corner and into a, a pasture. Yes. <laughs> you're <Yeah>. right. <laughs> 
Yeah, I love that. The whole pasture looked like our meal. Yeah, you're right. It completely opens up. And of course, I imagine sunshine, too. Well, he certainly doesn't need speedometers because apparently he can fold space. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's exactly right. I mean, and I think that that opening up that you're talking about and that feeling of sunlight and wideness, like it it has to do both with moving towards the more happy time of the relationship, Mm -hmm. not the sharp corners and the times up their sleeves. And... Back towards this nostalgic pre the humans we've become yeah. with speedometers, yes. you know, and yeah. so it it's like the, spatial, we were the animals in the field. So it's a spatial trick that makes us time travel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which yeah. is amazing to me. And this is probably the stanza that I think people find the most beautiful and moving because there's so much concrete stuff. But I also think it's where I get my anti-capitalist <laughs> message. Um, it's where I think I really see the whole possibility of our satiation as like being bigger than what it's become. Like we now become satiated on like more consumerist things mm-hmm. when before it was just the whole pasture and it, and uh, the cocktail was right. You could get talk- drunk on the basics of what is mm-hmm. right of ice and water as opposed to well, and the company you're with. Yes. The we we've got we twice in this, right? You know, the whole pasture looked like our meal. Yeah, you're right. The abundance. Well, and notice too, like he does bring like food throughout because we have the apple at the at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we have this meal. Then we have the ice and water. Yeah. Right. And I think that, that by, by the time he gets to the cocktails, it's a real play because cocktails is something we all can relate to as a, a product of modernity. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, absolutely. Right. Um, to sort of call us out for that even is yeah. really interesting. I also think we should look at the verbs. So the whole pasture looked like our meal. Mm-hmm. Then we didn't need. So we didn't need. The abundance, the sort of lack of lack. Yeah. Right? And then what we didn't need is mechanical time. Yeah, we did definitely. The, we didn't need right. mechanical, mechanical time. And that mechanical time is very aligned with capitalist motives and logics. And oh, absolutely. It's always more, more, more and, and, and more in less time. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's all, all about that. And then this we can manage uh, cocktails out of ice and water. Like the idea of cocktails is a, is a social thing, right? You have cocktails with with other other people. So this this idea of like, you know, we were the party wherever we were. Right. Like yeah. we, we were hanging out by the river and we had some ice and some water and we just talked yeah, and we talked. We were the party. Yeah. I think that might be one of Frank O'Hara's main messages. <laughs> we are the, the party. party. <laughs> um, I also love that manage is a word that means both to handle, right? We could handle that, but yeah. also to manage in the corporate engineering, mm. Western modern project sense. Mm, yeah. Um, and kind of always begs the question when I read this line, what can we manage? And I always hear haunted in the word manage imagine Hmm. like manage what can we imagine like what are we capable of imagining and managing and how what we are able to manage and what we are able to imagine alters the universe and the world around us and how much worry we bear ah for those things yeah yeah i mean and it also seems magical yeah absolutely magical um you know that that somehow through our sort of communion through our community right like that drinking this ice and drinking this water together, like it does become a kind of cocktail. I think by the time we get to the line of the speedometers, that it returns me to the first line of the poem. And I think the, the have you forgotten? Mm. He's like, yeah, you've forgotten. Yeah. Like, like we've all forgotten. We've all forgotten. Right. And that speedometers are part of that forgetting. And that's what I think is 
so brilliant about the poem. He's actually looking around him and looking at the infrastructure and thinking about how does the infrastructure itself shape the way we perceive the world? Right. The way that we think not just about the world, but also about each other and what we are capable of, what we can manage. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And I think I'm always trying to talk, talk to my students about this. One of the things that's so hard about being human is that we arrive belated onto the scene. That's the term <laughs> I use. Right. Like, so we arrive in a world in which billboards are already covering the roadsides mm. and yes. there's already highway networks and that just seems like the world and it takes us like 20 30 years to right. realize oh people made choices right and systems and this made is a choices that i didn't have a say in mm -hmm. but this is the world i live in right and, and yeah and this is a result of several choices of several generations and sometimes i think that's part of the job of art and poetry is to try to like dig underneath and mm -hmm. try to like figure out what is like i hate the word real a little bit but kind of like what what is what is real in the sense of what can we imagine as being before this or after this what's possible within the realm of possibility or, or what used to be real as opposed to what is real now yeah right like like the possibility of the past real as opposed to the possibility of the contemporary real yeah, I get really suspicious of the word real, yeah. <laughs> especially in in contemporary culture. And and I don't I don't think that um that things that copy or echo or any less authentic, especially especially in terms of art, where it feels like it's in conversation with some some past thing, but that there that there is this sort of idea of and I and I don't want to I don't want to lean too much in, into this essentialist ideas of like being human. But you do wonder with all of this construction of society and the simulacra that mm -hmm. we get at this particular moment, what would happen if it were stripped away? Yeah. And I think when you're in New York City, man, do oh. you get a constant image? And this is what I think O'Hara was really attracted to because he loved the city's vitality and the people in mm -hmm. the city, right? This yeah. relationality. But then in front of your face 24-7 is the fact that we, at some point, didn't like the world and we grafted over the whole world with our vision of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. is New York City. Right. They right? tear like down mountains to put removed. up skyscrapers. No yeah, we're tired, of, we're tired of round things. We want square things. Yeah. yeah. Square things are more convenient. And then square <laughs> things made us lonely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Like, so so then, we drew, then we drew long lines between the square things and drove down long lines to get the other square and things. And the other lines and picked up phones they are attached to. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Lest we think that O'Hara is disliking New York or critiquing New York itself, he says in Meditations in an Emergency, I can't even enjoy a blade of grass Unless I know there's a subway handy or a record store or some other sign that people do not re do not totally regret life. <laughs> I, 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 I truly relate to that. Yeah, I really do. Like, I, you know, I, people are like, I, I love nature. I love trees, but I also love to like. You know, go back to my house and take a hot shower. And well, and I bed. think that's what, yeah. again, in O'Hara, you see that he has an appreciation for nature, that he misses it, that he loves it sometimes, but he does it. It's not hierarchical. Right. Mm. It's like, I want my record store and my <laughs> yeah. grass. Right? Well, I mean, the, he also is, is a deep lover of art. Yes. Right. You know, and so and for me, I mean, I, I understand that like the I mean, obviously nature's gorgeous. But, you know, when I travel, when I go somewhere, I, I want to see like the pinnacle of uh the creative human spirit and 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 that's one of the things that really sings to me about cities mm -hmm. like the the architecture the music yeah. the 
visual art the range of vision yes right? yeah yeah the the, the yes exactly the, the capacious imagination of the of the humans it's it's a thing that i like about humans yeah these particular humans what did they want to surround themselves with yes yeah and that, you know i think o'hara also is people have written about this a little bit like he he's really someone be, partly because he was gay partly because he was in the art world partly because he had this poetic sensibility He's someone who didn't want to land on an identity for himself. He wanted us to think about the simultaneity that's inside of all of us mm -hmm. yeah, and really valued that. Um, in his really famous poem, Mayakovsky, he writes the line, Now I am quietly waiting for the catastrophe of my personality to seem beautiful again. <laughs> Wow. So great. So great, right? So like, hey, great. So I was, hard. If I had come across that line uh -huh. younger. Yes. And I mean anywhere between being 12 and 40, I would have written that on my mirror. So I would have seen it every day as I was getting ready. <laughs> and had it, I would have had it framed around me. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like a good tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Danielle and Max. The poem we're discussing today is Animals by Frank O'Hara with special guest, poet Don Lonsinger. If you'd like to read the poem, you can find it on our website at litfromthebasement.com. This sense of vitality and simultaneity that he loved in New York and other people and in art, there's a great line from Kenneth Koch. One of my favorite things ever written about O'Hara's poetry, he says, he wrote from the middle of all things before they have divided into subjects and ideas. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's and a I just picture thought. him in the middle of New York as that subject, too. Right. You know, like just in the middle of things. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he was certainly at the center of a lot of things, too. Yeah. Right. He was the thing around which things turned. Let's go to, the, to this yeah. last uh, stanza here. This, these last three lines. Which is a big turn. The eye. It is. Well, we just left the pasture, the lack of speedometers and, and, the, and the cocktails uh, and, yeah, and the cocktails. We're yeah, pleasure. Oh, yeah. We're having a great we're yeah. having a great moment. Right. And then I wouldn't want to be faster or greener than now if you were with me. Oh, you. And then line break were the best of all my days. And this is the beautiful trick of the poem. Yeah. Which is that he basically woos us mm -hmm. about time and, and all this stuff that we were just talking about. And then by the end, he flips it and says, none of that is what I'm actually looking for. I'm not looking for a future and I'm not looking for a past. I don't want to erase modernity and I don't want to go back to this primordial pasture of pleasure. I want you. Yeah. I could have you. Yes. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And it, like, I mean, talk about a love poem. And he does this beautiful <laughs> thing. I wouldn't want to be faster. So time or yeah. greener yeah. color and space. And but, youth as well. I mean, and, and, yeah. youth and, and, and both of those things faster, obviously, as I said, hearkening back to the speedometer and greener back to the pasture. And then flips the green into time again, because greener than now. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, now right. is green. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. And that probably leans a little bit more. Heavily on the idea of it being youth, as uh, as Max had pointed out. And this beautiful, oh, it's like you're melting by the time you get to that. It's incantatory. It's an invocation of the person he's talking to. It's a disruption of everything he said before that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you were with me and then, oh, you. Right? Like, 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 he, he's, he's, there's no space in here. There's no space in here, except for the, the big O creates its own space mm -hmm. like the o is like a, a, a beautiful perfect letter for like absence that is also desire right in some ways this uh, uh you were with me 
and, and you would imagine there would be like a dash or something. There's not. If you were with me, oh, you. Right? I, I feel like, like, I feel a like sigh there's a sigh of pleasure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That OU right at the end of the line, like really leaning on the U, right? Because he could very well have put a line break there too. But but it's extended out. Like when he thinks about this person, it extends well, it extends the line, which is also extending time. Um and, and that and that sort of vacuum that of that oh, the visual vacuum that it makes on the on the page. Yeah. It's yeah. so beautiful. And again, like it's I'm just stunned that this little tiny terset yeah. like totally changes. Like it's this basically that like all the stuff we've been talking about, modernized progress as more ordered and regimented and you know, discontinuous with the human, that that could all be resolved yeah. by love yeah. or relationality. <laughs> um, and what else could be resolved by love? Nostalgia for the yes. previous love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Including the previous version of the relationship you had with someone. Yeah. Which absolutely. is remarkable because how many of us do that? How many of us go back to like, oh, when we first, like, do you remember when we used to do this or when we used to do that instead of investing in the present? Oh, yeah, now, definitely. Right? But yeah, it, it does seem like it, it, it's like a longing for like a reinvestment in in that relationship. That's why we do this show, yeah. you and I. <laughs> yeah, that's that true. That is literally why we start doing yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, because there was just like we such kept lamenting. This, yeah, the fact that we no longer had conversations, well, that we no longer had like the beginning of a relationship. And so obviously this doesn't like... This, this doesn't like recreate necessarily the beginning of a relationship, but I think that relationships die if you don't have uh, new adventures together. Mm-hmm. But I think that might not be so hard on you if we weren't trapped in the world that we're trapped in a little bit. Yes. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Right. Oh, and yeah. of course, you don't oh, want in the we world had a of speedometers. Week. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you don't want the current thing you're doing together to be a simulacra of your previous versions. No, right? of course I think not. that's what O'Hara would be like. Oh my God, you just have to like be vital now and like don't, you know. Right. Yeah. Oh, you. Absolutely. Like to truly see the person as we were talking about Zadie Smith when she came to my campus recently, like this idea of real relationality and how difficult that is to see the I thou relationship versus the I it relationship. Well, yeah. Well, you, well, you, you were when wait, we wait, were talking. Can you? Yeah, we, I was, yeah. was going to say when we were talking about this earlier, you had a wonderful example of this. Yeah. So, so Zadie Smith gave the example of like being out to dinner with her family, and you know she was saying her kids were like fighting and throwing food, and their table was a mess and loud, and she looked over and there was like a family all on their phones. And of course, her brain was like, that seems like bliss. That's amazing. Who wouldn't want that? But then she realized quite immediately, like, but that's not life. And that's not what makes life worth living. And that's not what makes your relationships rich. And And that's not what makes a family. Yeah. It's not. Like, like, like it's part a part of of being a family at a, at a table. (laughs) is is like figuring out how to talk to one another and how and all of that right and i have to say that i mean one of the things i'm probably most terrified about our world is i think that messiness we all know it inherently that that messiness to relationships that difficulty is what makes it worthwhile Mm -hmm. but the world keeps moving towards streamlining i love every time i go into like a makeup store the word resurfacing resurfacing serum like resurfacing. Oh my god, like you're a road? Yeah, resurfacing. <laughs> Reasphalting that face. Exactly. Resurfacing, streamlining, sanitizing everything. Like sanitizing the humanity out of us. Well, uh, the, uh, the difference between uh, 
young lakes, new lakes, or, or old lake, ancient lakes, uh. are pristine, clear. You could see to the bottom of it, easy to drink water, perfectly clean and beautiful. Allotropic lakes, the ones that are muddy and sooty, and you can't see the bottom of, are the ones that are, are that actually life. They're the ones that have the life in them. The <laughs> yeah. ancient lakes that are clean are sterile. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly yeah. my point. Life is in the mess. Ah, which... I, though, still prefer the clean, crystal clear lake. <laughs> to swim in for your own experiences. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's no diapers floating in that one. <laughs> he also, this is reminding me of a quote, I used to quote of O'Hara's that I forgot about, but he said, a grace to live as variously as possible. A grace? What uh, a grace. Oh, like, what, what a grace. grace. To yeah. live as variously as possible. Yeah. Um, one more thing on this line, which is that, I mean, this brings it back to everything you already articulated, but like ultimately the person alters everything. And, 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 and that, and that, and it brings it back to this, this, this particular line. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish for this and I wouldn't wish for that if I were with you again. And then you get you, with you or with me. Oh, you were, the, and lamp, notice the, oh, you, the break there. Oh, oh you, you break. We can like do without <laughs> with the last line, with, right? With me. Oh, you, oh, you were the best. So this like sad, like uh, uh, we're, you, oh, you were the best of all my days. And this is where I'm going to argue that like this poem ultimately is really sad. Yeah. Like after everything we just said, because of course the trick that O'Hara has done is he's just made us feel fuller. Yeah. And all these things, right? Fuller, fatter, simpler, mm. pasture, cocktails. <laughs> yeah. He's made us live that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he brings us to this edge of uh, this greener, this now, this OU, this melting into this mm-hmm. like beautiful relationship. Were. But with the big conditional if in the middle of that second line of that last uh, stanza. Yeah. yeah. So ultimately it's still melancholic, elegiac. Well, and the, and the past tense of, the, of this, OU were the best of all my days. Like to have that knowledge, like I am at a moment right now yes. in my life that I know it will never get better than it was that's, with you then. Yes, that is what I think is the the knife twist. Oh, that's the most end, tragic. Because he ends with the remembrance of beauty, joy, intensity, oh, and, and oh, the sharpness oh, of that. Yes. Since that sharpness sharpens the sadness, right? The sharpness of that joy in that moment yes. makes you feel more deeply like, oh God. Oh, you, yeah, were the best of all my days. Yeah, that's that's a heartbreak. Let's do this one more time. Yeah, let's 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 read it out one more time all the way through. If you want to read along with the poem, just go to our website, litfromthebasement.com, click on the show notes tab along the top, then scroll to the show title with the poem's name. The most recent show is always on top. Animals by Frank O'Hara. Have you forgotten what we were like then? When we were still first-rate, and the day came fat with an apple in its mouth. It's no use worrying about time, but we did have a few tricks up our sleeves and turned some sharp corners. The whole pasture looked like our meal. We didn't need speedometers. We could manage cocktails out of ice and water. I wouldn't want to be faster or greener than now if you were with me. Oh, you were the best of all my days. 
So four quick little tersets. <laughs> just just four. Just quick little Instagrammable tersets. <laughs> oh, it's such a pleasure. Such a pleasure to talk with you again. It reminds me of like long conversations that we had in, in graduate school. And just to be like in your presence thinking about poetry again was really a pleasure for me. But also, you know, a Frank O'Hara is is a poet that of course I, I know and have read, but I, I hadn't sat down with him. I hadn't sat down and really thought deeply about him. I actually was never taught a single Frank O'Hara poem in my entire education. Yeah, that's tragic. Like no one ever spoke about him to me at all. And so like and and as of late I'd been sort of like O'Hara curious. And you know like sitting down <laughs> I love and, that. O'Hara curious. Like you know just like a sort of reading some poems online and 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 you know I had read personism and and I just had been sort of thinking out of and and was just kind of like hmm I like these. Um, but I hadn't thought deeply about them. So thank you so much for sharing this poem with me. Like, it, it, I, I just loved this. Of course. <laughs> it was totally a pleasure. And I'm totally a trooper because I'm on East Coast time. Oh, I know. I've been up for it. It's I know. like yeah. midnight <laughs> yeah, or so, one or something like yes, that. No, it's Absolutely. More like, it's, yeah, it's more like two o'clock your time. Yeah, let's get you to bed. I'm going to leave you with one Frank O'Hara quote. Okay. And then I have uh, a question again, for you when you're done personism. with it. He is really, and this is something I forgot to mention, like he's writing post-World War II, so he's mm. kind of like the surrealist who he admired and then also trashed a little later, <laughs> but admired first. And the surrealists were really obsessed with like, what is the danger of logic? If what if the end uh, game of logic is, is a holocaust war, and right. war, then like, why are we so obsessed with reason and logic and uh, progress, yeah. right? Yeah. And in Personism, he says... You have to take your chances and try to avoid being logical. Pain always produces logic, which is very bad for you. <laughs> our theme music is by Status Q. We have links on our homepage for you to subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. You can also subscribe through the Google Play Store. Our show notes have their own tab on our website. There you can find a copy of the work we discuss, a link to purchase the work, author information, or anything else we thought might be relevant, like Dawn's notes. If you have a comment, suggestion, correction, or an alternate reading of the poem, please send us a message using our contact page. If you want to hear Danielle read some of her work, click on the Vanity Press tab on our website. And once again, thank you, thank, thank you, you thank you, Don, for, for being here. here. It was a total pleasure. <laughs> for us, too. I miss laughing with you. <laughs> yeah, I miss that, too. Person to person. <laughs> Everybody, have a good night, good day, depending on when you're listening to us. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. start i mean we're starting late here <laughs> feisty i'm like let's get this show on the road well now i'm ready good well, thing i picked some literally yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be like a 15 minute episode <laughs> <clears throat> for the radio listeners who are just tuning in you're listening to lit from the basement with danielle and max the poem we're discussing today is Animals by Frank O'Hara with special guest poet Don Lin Long with special guest poet Don Long What the hell? You've met, right? <laughs>
Don Lansinger. Don Lansinger. It's actually Lansinger. 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 That's what I said. No, you said Longsinger. No, I did not. <laughs> I do know that much. Okay. Lansinger.